So some of you may not know this, but I actually had a blog before the Prairie Homestead came into existence. So the Prairie Homestead started in 2010, but prior to that, by a good number of years, I actually had a completely separate blog that you guys have never heard about before. And to be perfectly honest, I'm glad it no longer exists <laughs> because it was pretty embarrassing. Uh, but basically it was a horse lover blog because back in the early, early days of the internet, when I was 15, 16 years old, there was this little ring of um, teenage horse crazy girls who had this blog club thing. And we had to do a lot of things very DIY because there was not WordPress and there was not PicMonkey and all of these tools that people have now. This was like hardcore. You used FTP and you coded things yourself and I loved it. And so I had this really obnoxious blog and I did graphic design or whatever it would have been back then. It wasn't what you would call graphic design in 2021. But anyway, so I've been blogging for a long time and I've seen a lot of things change with blogs. You know, when I first started, when I had my blog when I was 15, it was hard for me to describe to people what it was. Because when I would say I have a blog, no one knew what a blog even meant. They'd be like, you, you have what? So I always had to explain it. You know, it's an online journal. And so it's been interesting to see this awareness drastically shift over the decades. Of course, now everybody knows what a blog is. Everybody has a blog. But... The one thing about blogging that a lot of people still don't understand is how you make money with a blog. That's still very much a elusive, mysterious topic. Well, of course, you know, it is possible. Um, myself and a lot of other folks make a living with a blog, and there's a lot of different ways you can do it. Some of the methods involve more of an active approach where you're constantly creating products and constantly launching them. And that can be great, but also a little bit exhausting. And then there's also more evergreen methods to monetizing a blog where I wouldn't say it's completely passive income because I feel like when we say passive income, sometimes there's this feeling that, oh, it just happens by accident and it keeps going in perpetuity, whether you try to maintain it or not. And that's not true. Um, you know, a business always is going to require some maintenance and some care to keep it going. But there are definitely ways you can monetize your work online that don't require constantly launching new products or ebooks or services. So I am very, very excited to have a guest with me today who is an expert in evergreen blog and website monetization. Julie Blanner is a former event planner and designer who started her blog as a place to share events as well as a little home decor and some recipes in the off season. Her blog thrived so well that years later, she sold her event planning business. And just this year, she actually retired her physician husband with the income that her blog generates. She has a beautiful blog. She takes this very, very seriously. You're going to love today's conversation. If you are in this boat of trying to figure out how you can monetize all of your hard work and do it in a way that doesn't drain you in the process. So Julie is a wealth of information. Let's dive into the interview. You're listening to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast, where ambitious people master the art of returning to their roots. Have you found yourself disenchanted with society or wishing you could opt out of the rat race? Perhaps you're craving a life that's meaningful and tangible, a life where you can create and produce instead of merely consume. I'm Jill Winger, best-selling author and longtime homesteader. 
Over the last 10 years, I've helped thousands of families create more connection, grow amazing organic food, and find the ultimate fulfillment through an old-fashioned lifestyle. And I can do the same for you. Now, on to our episode. Hey, Julie, welcome to the podcast. Hi, how are you today? I'm doing good. I'm super excited for this conversation. I think this is a big one for a lot of folks. Me as well. Yeah, this idea of um, how to monetize a blog and how to make that evergreen so you don't necessarily have to get stuck in that launch, launch, launch cycle, which I've done that before. And it's good on one hand, but also can be really exhausting on the other. So um, yeah, it's this should be great. Yes, I'm so passionate about it. You know, I've I've spun my wheels so many times. It's unbelievable. And once I found a path to stop doing so, I started really loving what I do even more. Absolutely. So let's kick this off. Let's, I'd love to hear your personal blogging journey, kind of the genesis of that when you started, how you got started blogging. Yes. Well, it's really crazy because I never dreamed I'd be a blogger. Of course, this is not something you could go to college for um, back when I was in school. So it's been really a fun journey. But I started as a wedding and event planner. And in 2007, I heard about a blog and you can integrate it into your website. So I thought it'd be a really great way to share my weddings and events with others and hopefully to acquire more weddings and events. And in the off season, I started sharing things like home decor projects and we were having friends over on Sunday nights for game nights and what I was serving food wise and a former caterer. Um, I, you know, was really looking forward to like sharing those recipes. Of course, I did so with a point and shoot camera and absolutely no knowledge. And um, so it kind of evolved from there. But after a few years of doing that, I realized I had a business on its own and I started treating it a little bit like one, but I didn't even realize I had an audience until companies um, started coming to me asking if I wanted that, you know, to integrate their product into my site and they would pay me this much money. And I was like, I should see how much traffic I have. And so that's when I started looking at things like Google Analytics and, um, Eventually, I let go of my wedding and event planning business and started doing this full time. It's far more conducive to family life. And um, we had a family of three small children. So it became very necessary to adapt away from something that consumed every Friday and Saturday night. Absolutely. I feel like there's some definite parallels between your story and mine. I started a few years after you did. I started in 2010. and also had no intention of monetizing it at the beginning. It was just going to be an outlet. And then it was like, oh, oh my gosh, what do I have? I have something. So I better do something with it. So totally relate to that part of the I story. love it. It's kind of a backwards way to go into it. But um, I think so many people in one way or another don't start, even if they start with the intent to monetize it, they don't necessarily start on the right foot. And knowing exactly what to do to monetize it properly. Definitely. I've seen that as well. Effectively. Yeah. Okay. Here's a million dollar question. Um, Because things have changed considerably since you and I started blogging back in the day. Um, Now we have YouTube and we have all the social media platforms and there's podcasting and there's a million different ways to put content out there. 
our, our blog's dead because I've seen plenty of gurus declare over the last couple of years, oh, blogging is not a thing anymore. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I always look first and foremost at the intent um, of the person who is saying that because usually it's something that they're selling um, that might lead them to that. But no, blogs are not dead. In fact, it is evolved and it's evolved into something really great that's competitive with a lot of the major magazines. Um, I know of several bloggers that actually have more traffic than some of the magazines. So um, as long as you can solve an immediate need, you can have a very successful blog and blogging does that. Um, You can go into a lot of detail, a little detail, but you can solve an immediate need. So where do people look? They don't look at an encyclopedia. They don't go to a book or a guide. Typically, they are looking for an instant answer and searching for that either on Pinterest or on Google. So blogs are easy to find, and they're also really palatable to consume. Definitely. So what I'm hearing you say is that you maybe need to be more niched down or specific if you're going to be blogging in 2021, like solving a problem. And I know I was looking at your uh, blog. It's beautiful. It does look like a magazine and your content is absolutely magazine worthy. So maybe kind of approaching it from that angle versus what people used to do a decade ago, where it's like Jill's blog about everything kind of feel. It is definitely a faster path to success if you niche down. Um, you are sending those signals to both Google and readers, like that you have nothing but cookies, which I just launched a cookie recipe site um, this year. But you know, when you're niche down, it definitely is easier to resonate and build, you know, that enthusiastic enthusiastic audience. But it's not absolutely required. A lot of food bloggers will do travel. A lot of um, like homesteading bloggers will do recipes and farm and, you know, even some home decor. There's no one size fits all um, approach to blogging. And I believe if your site is structured well, you can make anything work. Mm -hmm. Now, have you branched out into other content creation formats over the years, or do you still have most of your work concentrated around your blog posts? My blog is my baby. It's my uh, bread and butter. So I always take care of that first and foremost. I have dabbled in other things. Like I have a YouTube channel that I've been growing the last, over the last two years, but because I don't do it consistently, it's not as effective, but um, whatever you pour your energy into, in my opinion, will be what thrives the most. And for me, that's my site. I do still share occasionally on Instagram and I have a presence on Facebook, but those um, do not generate a lot of my revenue. And so I just don't focus on it. I actually tend to look at that as something that I enjoy doing. Mm. Well, not that I don't enjoy blogging, but I do it because I enjoy it, not because I'm looking to monetize it. Right. And I like that you're saying that you're you're focusing on one because I feel like especially with new digital creators, they feel like they have to do all the things, which yes. uh, or they see someone like I have a podcast on YouTube and a blog, but I've focused on those at different periods of my career and really poured all into one. And then I figured that out and got that flowing and then added the other. 
Uh, but yeah. it's hard when you roll into it now versus 2008 because um, there's too, there's so many more options. So I love that you're just still focused on the thing that is bringing you the bulk of your revenue and is really your bread and butter. Yes. And YouTube is kind of my next focus along with the second site. Mm-hmm. And so I just have kind of, yeah, I think that's a really great approach to it. Taking care of one thing so you can do it well, do a consistency, learn what works and put it on autopilot before you really dive into the next. Absolutely. Okay. So how does one make money through a blog? I've had this question so many times over the years. I feel like it's maybe not as mysterious as it used to be to to the average person, but still it can be elusive. So can you just run us through what someone can do to monetize a blog or a website and what it, what it means, especially to be evergreen in your monetization? Yes. So first and foremost, again, I just love sharing and creating content but it it consumes a lot of resources. You know, hosting is really expensive. I have a tech team that supports my site. Again, that's very pricey and some help to help me answer all the questions that we receive. So there are a lot of expenses that come along with blogging as well. So we have to, at first I started monetizing just to cover my expenses. And of course, now that's grown into being our family's full-time revenue, but there are so many different revenue streams you can use. And Those are sponsors. Um, That's like if a brand works with you, you can create content featuring them on your site. Affiliates, and I absolutely love affiliate revenue. Um, That's another really great one because you can share products you love and suggest that to your readers and you earn a small commission on that. Um, Ads is um, a way that you can monetize just based on impressions on your site It's a very passive form, so I really enjoy that. Um, And it's my primary source of income, but every impression that someone sees, you get paid on. And um, of course, you can use like digital or physical products like books and eBooks. A digital product, you you can make posters, your photography images, uh, things like that. Of course, you can also do like if you're in woodworking, you can do design plans. And then there's, of course, consulting and design. So there are a lot of ways you can monetize, and those are just some of the primary ways that bloggers do it. Which one would you say is your your favorite? I know you said ads is your primary, um, but is that your favorite too, or do you have other ones? It is. Ads allow me to create the content I want to create and share with my readers that I know will resonate with it in a really authentic way that no one else has any influence whatsoever on what I'm sharing. So I do think it's very authentic. And the other reason I love it is that it's evergreen. Whether I work that day or not, I'm earning a paycheck that day. So I really enjoy that that is an evergreen approach to blogging. Definitely. Have you had any struggles over the years? I mean, I have ads on my blog and and sometimes there's dips with different, uh, depending on kind of the time of year and the advertisers or sometimes Google traffic. Is that something you've kind of learned to overcome or do you still have to ride the roller coaster sometimes? There will always be roller coasters. You know, some months and quarters are more profitable than others where um, the pay per impression is significantly higher. So I base my content on that as well. I enjoy spending summers with my children and taking it off with them. So I do every summer. I actually will be taking off here this week and won't return until late August. But I know that in summer, advertising is less and I shoot all my content leading up to it. So it just works out that way. 
but I really focus a lot of my time and energy on the holidays, which I enjoy so much anyways. And it's a really great time to monetize. So I kind of look at that. And I also look at my ad revenue on a daily basis. And I look at what I can tweak. I am not afraid to use utilize my resources wisely and reach out to them and uh, see what we can do to make it work better for a better user experience and to generate more revenue with less ads. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So um, if I notice a dip, I'm, I immediately go and I'm like, okay, was that because of a particular post? Was that because of a particular ad? Was there something going on there or did traffic, you know, dip on something in particular? And we kind of nail those down to overcome those. So it's a passive source of income, but you're still actively managing it and paying attention. Absolutely. And, you know, it just kind of depends on what phase I'm going through. I tend to do a lot of that stuff um, in January and February when there's a lull anyways. And I just check in, you know, even if I work 30 minutes on a Monday, I can kind of analyze the week and see, you know, if there are any changes that need to be made. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, at what point in your blogging journey did you kind of decide to go all in where you <clears throat> were starting to make that full-time income? So, you know, it was one of those things where, for the longest time, we were putting my husband through med school and residency, and then I was home with small children. So I was working on nap times. So I was just happy with the revenue that I was generating. And I was, and over time, I got busier and busier and more advertisers wanted to work with me. So I became a little savvier and I was like, you know what? If so many people want to work with me, I should negotiate a better price so that again, I'm working with fewer advertisers, fewer um, sponsors for more money. So that way I can put more energy into that. And it will also resonate better with my readers without subjecting them to just sponsored post after sponsored post. Um, When I realized I owned a small media company, I started treating it like one. As my traffic grew and my profits grew, I realized I no longer had a blog. I needed to make a shift and deviate from the personal element. And while each post has my personal touch on it and my personal story, that is not the focus of a post. And so I started making um, revenue-based decisions and um, really diving into my ROI, my return on investment. So if I was spending time working rather than with my family, I needed to find ways to maximize that time and maximize the revenue I could generate within that time. Definitely. So the, the what you said about your content shifting from not as personal into more serving the audience. So am I, I'm just picturing, so your, your posts are more, you're paying attention to what keywords are going to be popular and what topics are trending. And then just approaching that more from a general, I'm solving this person's problem versus here's why I like this recipe or something. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yes. So I first and foremost, again, will serve my audience. So if I like something, chances are they will too. So I take a little bit of a different approach to that than what SEO gurus do. But I um, think that you should first and foremost serve that audience and make sure that it's something that you think they will be interested in. And so I consider that. And then from there, I'll do things like keyword research and Um, try to answer the questions that they may have about a particular recipe or home decor problem. 
and solve that for them. Sure. And I try to make it really user-friendly so that, um, again, it's palatable so they can skim it if they want to skim it, or they can get all the details if that's what they're looking for. You know, sometimes people are just preparing for a project, so they just need a quick overview, and sometimes they're actually ready to dive into it. And so, you know, I try to serve, you know, both means of needing to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Okay. About how many hours a week do you spend on your on your blog? I know you take summers off, which I think yes. is fantastic, but for the, the rest of the year. Yes. Well, I work between the hours of nine to four, but in that, you know, I do lunches with girlfriends and I go play tennis and things like that. So it's not very strict which is one of the things I love so much about blogging is I can do what I love, but manage a really healthy balance in my life. And um, then in summers, I take summers practically off. I do, like I said, I'll work 30 minutes here or there, but it's really, really nominal. So it worked for us. Yes. Yeah. So much so that I actually retired my physician husband this year. Oh, that's fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. It's so fun having him at home and kind of getting to live the same lifestyle I do where, you know, I can get up and go work out in the morning, get the girls off to school in the bus and be there and ready to give them attention when they get home. Yes. Yes. I love that. Full-time family now. Yes. Yep. Um, Okay. So um, for those listening, I know we have a lot of aspiring bloggers or, or new bloggers who haven't been doing it that long, or maybe they're they're struggling getting that traffic. What are your recommendations for getting a blog to be dis- to be seen or discovered or, or dealing with Google? Do you have any strategies around that? Well, yes. I think what you do before you write a blog post really pays off. You know, you need to have great hosting, great site speed, and the foundation, a good organization system to your website so that it's easy to navigate. You can have the best content and not have it seen. I really do think you need to have some sort of social strategy so that you're sending positive signals to Google, as well as strategies in place so that people can find your content, whether that be keyword research or what you're doing with how you take your images or how you optimize them. So I, there are so many different ways you can do that, but um, you need to have a good foundation or nothing will ever work. And that's great hosting and site speed and organization. Yes. I noticed your site was lightning fast too when I was on it. Oh, yeah. so- <laughs> so- we work really hard and have spent a lot of money to make that a really great user experience because I know when I'm on mobile and I'm waiting for where a site to load, I myself get really frustrated, hit the back button and move on to the next thing. Well, you don't want people to do that when they reach your site. You want to captivate them. You want them to click around and become a subscriber. You want them to get to know you and what you're an expert at on your site. And then they'll come back time and time again. I think it's also one of the things that's really overlooked now. Everybody's so SEO focused. I think that people often overlook their audience. And for me, maybe it's because I started so many years ago like you I like really like to nurture them first and make sure that they are not never forgotten. I answer every question that comes through on my site or an email, and we try to get to every last DM. 
And it's a really daunting task sometimes because they can reach you on so many platforms, but I want people to know that they can count on me and that I'm here for them. Definitely. And that doesn't matter. Yeah. The community building is crucial. Yes. Um, I feel like the bigger the the internet gets, the more people are craving that, those personal touches. Yes. And so many sites, um, it's something that you can do, even if you're not a larger site, so many sites neglect their readers in that way. They never respond back. They never thank them for sharing their content when, you know, on Google or Instagram stories or things like that. And I think that people really appreciate that. And they appreciate, especially this year more than ever, uh, having that connection and having a connection is another really great way to build an audience and build your site. And that too will send positive signals to Google and other search engines. Summer is basically here and we're all spending way more time outside working in the garden and around the barnyard. And one of the things I love to treat myself with at the end of a long day of working on the homestead is a sweet drink when I sit out on the back porch and watch the sun go down. Now, this may be a little bit of a surprise to you, but I kind of like Coke and other pops and sodas, but I do try to avoid them. And one of the ways I do that is by playing around with different flavors of iced tea. I like to add a little stevia or honey or maple syrup, a whole bunch of ice, and everybody is happy, even the kids. However, I have learned that not all teas are created equal. A lot of the teas that you might find at the grocery store have been treated with pesticides or they're packaged in bleached tea bags or they're loaded with a bunch of artificial junk. Thankfully, I have found some organic loose leaf teas that are amazing. The Positively Tea Company is family owned and operated and they take their tea very seriously. They have zero added sugars, but the taste and quality are amazing. Plus, their prices are hard to beat. I especially love the value of the one pound bags, which means you're basically getting four times the tea for only twice the price. So to grab your loose leaf teas for your summer nights on the homestead or the back porch, head on over to theprairiehomestead.com slash tea, and you can get an additional 10% off your entire order with the code homestead. And now back to our episode. What does your team look like? I know you mentioned you have, uh, you know, people helping you answer emails and stuff. What is that? What are your assistants do? Yes, I do. You know, I've gone through a lot of growing pains in the last couple of years. And that's part of it that we're going to kind of try to iron out now is just kind of clean things up a little bit and get a little more organized. But um, I use Airtable to organize everyone's tasks. and. Because I started small, you know, at first I hired um, an intern who I had to pay, you know, a nominal amount an hour for, and she actually rose up with me and has been with me for over four years now. And so, you know, what she was working on before isn't what she's working on now, but now um, she helps me answer questions on um, YouTube and email and she also does all of my Facebook and I still pop in on all of those places and I still respond some too, but if it's just like a really basic, you know, question that 
they're just needing a link for a quick answer to, she'll be the one to get that. If they need a more personal answer, it's always, it always comes from me because again, I don't want to lose touch with my audience. I really, truly appreciate how many people have supported me through the years. But, um, and then I have a gal, Erin, who is so lovely and so amazing. She's one of my longtime friends and I knew her from the wedding and event planning industry. And when she was ready to sell her floral business, she's like, I just don't even know what I would do. And I was like, I do. Because while I was um, a communications major, a lot of that has gone by the wayside between being distracted with three children and things like that. I will spit out a post and you know, just like type it all out and just move on from it. And she's like, Ooh, that needs some cleaning up. So Erin kind of keeps me clean, keeps things organized. She helps me with ideas and will help get those affiliate links in there. And she too, she knows me so well because we are friends that um, she can often answer questions just as well as I can and can source an item for a reader. And so she's been instrumental. And then my um, cousin's daughter actually helps me edit videos. So it's just, it's grown a lot. And now my husband is joining me and helping me keep it all organized and running efficiently. And my favorite part is, is that my sister works with me in the kitchen every Wednesday and she makes sure that my recipes are tried and true. She helps me prep, she helps me clean up, but most importantly, she helps me break things down so that someone who doesn't cook or bake can understand them. And then she makes it on her own and tests them without me around to make sure that they are tried and true and foolproof. I love that. Yeah. I think, you know, I just heard you throughout this interview, you've mentioned several times, you know, investing in your site speed, investing in your team. And, and I, I think I just want to pull that out and underscore that for those listening that you can start off small with blogging and, and that's where most of us did. And that's, there's no shame in that, but as it becomes a business, it's crucial that you invest back into it and treat it as a business and have the, that team that you're building and be willing to invest in the quality of your hosting and the quality of your site speed and the quality of your photos. It just, it's crucial. And I feel like a lot of folks, at least the ones I work with kind of get stuck and they, yeah. they get in that middle spot. And I'm like, I don't want to spend any money on it, but I also, nobody can load my blog because it's so slow. And so it's just good to hear you not be afraid, obviously to. Yeah. And you know, a lot of times Bloggers don't realize that they are outsourcing things like they're, they have an ad network. Well, that's outsourcing. You're paying them a portion of your income to handle that. People outsource or hire all the time without even really recognizing it. You know, my email subscription service, things like that, that's outsourcing. So anytime you can't provide a service um, or you can't create something yourself, you're purchasing that from someone else, whether it be something repetitive, like a recipe card or a staff member or a one-time purchase, but I can't develop a recipe card. So I outsource that. I go to the best recipe card plugin for my site and I outsource that. There's no shame in it. And I think that that's one of the things for people that have been blogging for years is there's almost the shame of hiring something out that it's not all you. And as you grow, it just physically cannot all be you. You can't be creative if you're weighed down with all the daunting tasks. 
And it doesn't always make sense for you to do it. You're not getting that same ROI as if you have someone else do those. Absolutely. And that's what I've noticed in my own life, especially when I get into seasons where I have too much on the plate, the creativity just goes down the tubes. Like there is no creativity. So it's crucial as, as a creator that you protect that creativity. And one of the ways you can do that is with um, hiring things out that you don't love or that are cumbersome or, or whatever. Exactly. And you know, you just don't always have the time. You just don't have the time to do it all. I cannot do it all and be a balanced person with a happy life and three kids that I feel like I'm taking care of. And that's not to say somebody else can't, but for me, I just know that that is not possible. I need a balance of those things to make it all work. And then I think that that makes my site that much stronger. You know, anytime you hire someone on, you're bringing their expertise, their set of eyes, they can catch your mistakes. They can make a suggestion, you know, from a totally different perspective that may take your business up to the next level. Definitely. And like I said, my sister does that every day because my sister is not a novice baker. And so she's like, you know, I don't quite understand that. That didn't quite make sense to me. I have a question about this and that only makes me better and my site better. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. So how many blog posts are you producing a week on average? Well, I have so much content since I started in 2007 that it's a mix of updating old content and um, creating new. And I try to keep that a pretty healthy balance. So it's about 50-50 right now. And, um, you know, I'm sure readers really appreciate if they've seen some of my old recipe photos, that new photos are being added. But um, it's quicker and easier to update my old work than it is to create something new. So I'll kind of take one week of doing one thing and one week of doing another thing. And then it all trickles out just because I shot, I shoot five recipes. I think I did five today. Um, those five recipes might take me three or four months to post because I'll trickle them all out. But, um, I typically do anywhere between four and seven posts a week, but again, half of those are just being updated. Yeah. 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 And that's, a real thing, a real struggle when you have that old content. Um, yes. I, I used to shoot everything with a point and shoot camera that was horrifying. And so I'll look at some of those old photos and I'm like, oh my word. <laughs> so and some of those updating is just, important. Yes. And some of those you just decide to delete and some of those are worth updating yep. because you're like, that's an amazing recipe. My readers need this. And, you know, people from that were following me back in 2007 or maybe 2010, they're not going to remember that recipe when I share it now, or if they do, they're gonna be like, oh my gosh, we've made that so many times. It's amazing. So I am not afraid to share something again that I've shared before because um, we all love a little refresher, right? And it's like, oh, I forgot about that recipe and I loved it. I've made that before, but you know, you get in your ruts and you make the same thing over and over again. So, and you might have something new to add to it, some more tips and things like that as your expertise has gone up. So uh, we definitely spend a lot of time updating old content because I always want to make sure that everything on my site is really helpful. That if somebody finds it, that they're not going to be disappointed in any way, or that if it's something like decorating bookcases, that they're going to know from start to finish exactly what to do for success. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And things change too. Trends and stuff change over the years. I'm yeah, sure. Totally. So, yeah, so it could be that the text of it is great, but that it's time to give the photos a refresh. Mm -hmm. 
so with all that you're doing on your blog, as, I mean, that's a considerable amount of posts each week. How do you coordinate social media and the other places that you need to be with that? Because you, you can't be at all the places at once. Mm-hmm. What are your strategies for that? Well, um, anytime I create a new post, we'll decide if there's going to be a video that correlates with it or not. And I don't actually worry about the date of those correlating for YouTube. For Facebook, I just assign it to um, my team member in Airtable. And then she knows, okay, it's time to do this. And I have another gal that does Pinterest. She uses my strategy. She is a stay-at-home mom that works on nap times. And um, she does a phenomenal job. But again, it's perfect for her. It's perfect for me. And um, so I'll just tag her and she'll know, oh, I have this new post or this post I just updated that maybe we decided to leave back in 2010, but it still needs to be promoted. And she'll know to do that. So we use Airtable to organize our team and make sure that everything is constantly being promoted. Unfortunately, when you have a lot of content, that's a challenge in itself. But like I said, it's everything you do before you post and after you post that really makes a difference and gives your um, work a chance of success of being seen. So you're also outsourcing those some of those pieces for social. So yes. Yeah. So you're getting this stuff recycled through on a regular yes. basis. Yes. We just have so much that again, I just couldn't possibly do it all and do it all well. So we have, you know, strategies in place and just kind of go on autopilot. Yeah. I love autopilot on the, when you can get in a system and it works, that's the best, the very yes. best. Um, okay. So if someone's a brand new blogger, which avenue would you suggest they start looking into to monetize or to start taking this blogger website that they have into more of that business mindset? Um, well, I mean, the easiest thing you can do often right off the bat, um, are affiliates. You are best to get a referral from someone to actually get into an affiliate program, but there are a lot of affiliates. If it's a product that you think will resonate with your reader, you can reach out and see if they have an affiliate program rather than just your big ones like reward style, shop style, or Amazon. You can go for individual products and those will tend to pay a higher revenue share. So that's something you could do right off the bat to uh, monetize. But I'm a firm believer if you are very consistent and um, intentional about it, that you can be on Mediavine, which is one of the two most popular ad networks for bloggers, although there are so many. There are thousands of ad networks out there. Those are just the two that have really done a great job of catering to bloggers. But um, you can be on Mediavine in a matter of a couple months. And I think it's really great for people to start with that in mind and give themselves a deadline to work for so that they treat it like a business before they're monetizing it. Definitely. And what's the, I mean, I'm on Mediavine, but it's been a while since I've looked at their, their like minimums. What, did, what would people be shooting for if they were to get on Mediavine in that short of time? Yes, 50,000 sessions, not page views. So sessions are when, like how many times they um, click around on your site versus just that simple page view. Okay. And that's, yeah, that's doable. With yes. some intentionality, you could get that. Yes. So it's a little harder to get, sessions over page views, um, you'll tend to have fewer sessions, but, um, you know, that also shows great engagement. Right. And 
you know, ad networks will primarily want U.S. traffic. And I think that's something a lot of people overlook as well. And I'll see this in a lot of Facebook groups. They're like, I hit 50,000 sessions and I applied and I was declined because of traffic. And they're like, now what? Um, Because of where their traffic source is. And I think that's something, again, you have to be really intentional. Maybe start creating things that will, that you know will succeed in the U.S. first. Okay. And then you can explore those other um, cuisines and things like that. That's interesting. I never knew that it was specific, so specific to U.S. traffic like that. That's good. To yeah. Know. U.S. advertisers are far more competitive. Okay. Interesting. Huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, okay. I think I'm through my list of questions that I threw at you. Um, as we wrap up, any last bits of advice for people listening? Yes. Um, time is precious. So treat every minute like it matters. Don't just spend a lot of time on your website without being intentional behind it. Prioritize and let the little things go. I see people spinning their wheels all the time over things that just are totally negligible and won't make them a dollar. And you have to treat it as a business. And um, another thing is, is that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. If something is working for you, go for it, stick with it. Um, it will make your life a lot easier. And again, it will make your time use more effective. And for me, I always look at evergreen content. With every post that's written, I make sure that it will first serve my readers, but not just now, but years from now. Will they like this recipe in five years? Will they like this recipe in 10 years? And of course, some things with like home might, or fashion might change, you know, as trends change. But is that something that could even be like, effortlessly updated or applicable, but I don't want to just spend my time doing the same thing over and over again. And I used to be so guilty of this. It's like, how many more Christmas table settings do you need to see from me? Mm -hmm. I'll be honest, probably not any, um, as much as I love playing with flowers, it's not worth reinventing the wheel. Creating evergreen content will allow you to be more hands off and spend your time creating things that will serve you whether you're working or not. Um, so yeah. Great advice. Thank Where you. can folks find you on the internet if they want to follow along and see all the amazing content you're creating? Yes. Well, my website is julie uh, my website is julieplanner.com and I share easy entertaining ideas, effortless recipes and home decor. And then I also have a re- website that I started last November, Easy Cookie Recipes. And it's all things cookies. So it's super delicious and a lot of fun to do. And then I have a course, Six Figure Blog, that's launching in a few weeks. And you can get on the wait list. Fabulous. I think easycookierecipes.com. I can't believe that was still available as the URL. That's awesome that you snagged that. (laughs) I actually own a lot of really great URLs. I just don't have the time to do anything with them right now. But it's something that's always in my back pocket. And I decided to just go for it right before the holiday season. And I'm grateful I did. I was able to monetize it quickly. And even though I've fallen off the bandwagon, I'm being um, as consistent as I'd like to be. It's something that I can definitely see myself investing a lot of time into this fall and winter. For sure. Yeah. Um, Brilliant though, to have that in your back pocket, at least. And when people get to season, you can pull it back out. So that's one of the best things. The options are endless and you get to design your path. It's not a one size fits all approach. Yes. Amen. 
Good stuff. Well, thank you so much for your time. I know that you have lots going on and I really appreciate all of the brilliance you shared with us today. So uh, it was excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you so very much. All right, friends, that's it for today's episode. As always, if you want to follow along with me, I'm over on Instagram at the Prairie Homestead. Uh, Shoot me a DM. Let me know what you thought of this episode. I'd love to hear more about the blog that you're creating if you have one in the works. And we'll chat again on the next episode of the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast.